You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem. Tonight, I'm joined by Vato. Do you like beer? Damn it. I, you stole my line. <laughs> I do like beer. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> Hello. And the chef owner of Adam Merkel Restaurants, Adam Merkel. Hello. Adam, Happy how are you? Good. How are you? Good. All right. So. Adam is. Whoa. Adam is what? Adam is really regretting this, I feel like. <laughs> no, not at, not at all. <laughs> Okay, so I've have been you, starting our podcast. Have you ever blacked out? No, no. <laughs> I'm just saying, none of us have a shot at the Supreme Court ever. <laughs> because we've all blacked out. <laughs> um, so I've been starting podcasts with places I've been to over the po- course of the past week or two. Um, places that are doing it right, good hospitality, good food, all of that. So three places this week. Chocolate Gallery Cafe in Warren, Parrot's Cove in Warren. Both are places, Chocolate Gallery Cafe is like this little carpeted, diner set up um off of chicago and ryan road um walk in the place and and the, the waitress looks at you and says oh my gosh welcome thank you so much for taking the time to come visit us today like v- incredibly genuine um and honestly like it took 45 minutes to get our food it was <laughs> breakfast but she kept checking in with us and apologizing and letting us know that there's a new cook and, and that th- they're only taking one order at a time they're trying their best to get things moving. And if it was up to her, things would be going much quicker. Well, whoever's grandma that was, we thank you. Oh, and she, I mean, she, yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> she, she was, you know, 60 senior citizen. Like she was, you know, working, working the room, like with, with class. Um, she knew everybody's, almost everybody's name in there. Obviously, no mind. We had never been there before. Um, really great place. Parrot's Cove is on Dequinder. Um, set back like an oasis like mm. it's like this very small building and it's named aptly you walk in it's a like tropical themed mm. place um great great service again um the food is you know it's bar food whatever it's good but everyone's pleasant um it's almost like a i don't know during the winter you can go in there and have a really good margarita and some this burger that's like 14 inches high because of onion straws <laughs> it's it's bizarre and then norma g's uh which is new on jefferson mm-hmm. uh, in detroit that's a caribbean place um used to be a food truck now it's got a brick and mortar it's fantastic nice um highly recommended uh had oxtail sliders which were great um very helpful service because they like it's a it's exotic food to most of us um you know, we don't have a lot of Caribbean restaurants in the area, although no. um, we have a lot of Jamaican places, mm. I've, I've learned. And then, um, you know, all, all of these newer cuisines are popping up. You know, we have a Peruvian place now in Ferndale. Um, Do we have a Palestinian place? 
Did anyone see Jeremy's video that he posted about that? Jeremy who? Jeremy, uh, I think I think his last name right now. It's not popping my hands. Um, <clears throat> you put me on the spot. Uh, it is a Palestinian, like a chicken that's like cooked in um, onions and like sumac and all sorts of other things. It looked amazing. I think yeah. I did see that. Um, but I was just uh, curious. I was going to ask if you knew of a Palestinian place because I couldn't think of one. No, I, I don't think that there's one in the area. I mean, we have a multitude of Middle Eastern places, right? Even like Egyptian and um, there's a Yemeni place, I believe. A few Yemeni places, yeah. Um, but I could not think of a Palestinian place. There's even a Jord- Jordanian, Jordanian place, hmm. um, Syrian. Yeah, there's all types of Middle Eastern. But yeah, I don't know if there's a Pakistan. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, do we want to talk about the empire? kitchen uh review <laughs> so we spent a lot of time on that uh mark hurley version of the, of empire um so last week molly or this week even this molly week, abraham yeah. uh, posted her own review um and ha- having the benefit of being facebook friends with both people it seems like they have what I would call a contentious relationship. Um, they not, definitely egg each other on. They egg each other uh, yeah. yeah. So maybe not contentious, but they do egg each other on. And um, it, it almost seemed like this was an exact opposite review. Um, it, it wasn't glowing in any way. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say it's opposite in that regard. It was just like... Because you, you went that week too, didn't you? Because I went. I didn't go. Okay. I haven't been yet. But I, I have no issues. I'm not mm. going to... I'm not avoiding going. It's just ha- haven't had the opportunity. Um but her review was positive. Her her, her style is also so different in writing. Yes. In his style. Mark his, has a little more snark, I feel like. And and Mo- Molly is also um I mean she's considerable she's older. Mm-hmm. I mean not that that doesn't play a huge role in it but like uh it, it might play a role in length of article. She she has a different the style is much more curt. Um she's very much like get to the point mention a couple dishes, mention, mention the ser- level of service, um, and then give it a couple stars or yeah. whatever, you know, a star rating. Mm-hmm. Was, I think Empire got two and a half, which is very good from her. Um, and for those that don't know, back in, I want to say the mid to late eighties, nineties, she's, she put like six books out on mm-hmm. the Detroit food scene and, uh, catalog, cataloged, uh, all the different places that she went to when she was writing for the free press. Oh wow! Yeah, so uh, at least I think it pretty. I think it has a free press publication uh, mark to it. So I think there was about five different books about uh, where to eat in Detroit, and everything was written almost exactly the same as it is now. Like that very succinct, boom, boom, boom. You know, platform that she's got. So yeah, and both both of them, like both Mark and her, have following. Both their followers, and they they both have, um, you know. Both styles of reviews are both are well respected. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen the review. Did it get as much response as Marks, or it, you know, as far as N- no, obviously not as controversial, but it, exactly. Yeah, you know. and and that's the whole thing. And I don't think Molly tries to be um, controversial in that respect. Right. She doesn't. She's been on record as saying she doesn't do negative reviews. Did she um, use the word banal? <laughs> no, I don't think she did. Okay, because yeah. I remember that being a. It's like the first sentence, right? Did, Mark's did, did Celia yeah. Rector do negative reviews? Because I don't recall seeing much from her in that regard. I, I don't before, think but. so. No, I don't, okay. I don't think so either. I, I mean, I don't think we really had anybody around here do anything negative in so long. No. I think that's why it was such a change of pace for everyone just to see that. And they're like, whoa, you know. And that's kind of what we talked about is that was kind of him putting his stake in the ground. Like, sure. Yeah. You guys are on notice that yeah. 
Which I'm, is what I'm they do there. in New right. York and a lot of the bigger cities all the time. Obviously, yeah. they'll, they'll go up and down, but right. we just haven't seen it. So I think everyone's like, whoa, is that? I didn't even know that was a thing, you know? <laughs> I think yeah. it reminds me of that New York uh, review of Guy Fieri's place in uh, Times Square. Mm-hmm. Like when that fr- first came out, how sh- shocking. I mean, even though for, even for New York, that was shocking. And that's kind of how I felt like the Empire review was. Yeah. And, and Pete Wells, who wrote that review, is kind of known for his um, verbose way of being um, critical. Um, he, he also wrote a takedown of per se, if I remember correctly, um, which is like a, kind of like a golden goose in terms of New York dining, but it's, uh, really lo- according to him lost its way. I've never been, um, but it's like a, you know, two people, thousand dollar meal. You, you better be on your A game all the time sure. and not, not mess up consistently. Um, and Pete went, I think a total of three or four times and, and did not have a good experience any of those times. Um, so, you know, it's much different than Guy Fieri because, right. you know, and um, he's also he's also wrote a very positive review of a place called Senior Frogs in New York um, <laughs> where he just had a great time and it was just a party and he loved it. Is Kevin out there? <laughs> <laughs> so, he doesn't um, recall being there. So let's go from Detroit <laughs> to New York to Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, an article was written this week about – titled Charleston Restaurant Closings Increase as Rift Between Chefs and Owners Widen. Um, the- and what's interesting is because I – when I was reading some people that were posting on this because I think someone in Detroit posted it and they were saying that there's a little hint of this in Detroit right now. Um, I guess part of it is as rents are going up, they're starting to squeeze mm-hmm. uh, the chefs and like other – things to um to pay for basically the rent the article actually quotes uh like putting up uh tvs because that helps bring in people to watch games and stuff and the chefs are like no i don't want a tv here so that's interesting that charleston seeing this charleston is kind of this hub out in the middle it's not a huge huge metropolis but it's still big um but they have an amazing food scene and i think it grew very quickly and i think they're starting people putting some parallels to Detroit on this. Yeah, and I think the point that you're making um, th- about the TV, this was a um, uh, was it like an island themed restaurant or something. I remember the details. Um, yeah, and so the, the TV didn't fit. Yeah, um, and like but, they wanted a frame, and they didn't. Like, well, the chef they, wanted a frame to make it at least look not right. like a. A TV. Damn TV right yeah. in the middle of your restaurant that has nothing to do with sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and. and um, she didn't get that. Um, and then there's menu suggestions happening. The, the, the crux of the article is that like these people that have money that don't know anything about restaurants um, are hiring chefs that know a lot about restaurants mm-hmm. um, and may not have the money, Like your, to your point. And they're giving – their the, the owners are giving ideas of what they think their restaurant should be to a chef who has a vision. So like you know, I, I wrote down – my notes concept versus vision mm-hmm. so there's a concept that uh, that is in the mind of the the owners usually but the vision occurs as a combined kind of exercise right it's the owners it's the chef it's sometimes the staff and and Adam you, you could probably speak to this um so when all of these things clash it's never going to work it's not right. right and at the same time though the you know, the owner has the right to do what they want it's their money and the chef has their right to say, like, no, you're being an idiot. I'm, I'm going to go. So um, it, it's, it's, it's hard to put fault on the owner because, you know, again, that's, that's what they're doing. That's their money. But as, as once they kind of go off that vision, that vision that the chef signed up on, it's kind of the chef to say, like, hey, you're, you're, off, you're off the wagon. I need to leave. 
Could be too. A lot of owners who maybe don't have as much experience, they're mm. a little bit scared and they, they stay on this on just the maybe the as you could call it the easy path. So it's probably harder for them to attach to far out ideas when rents are going up and a lot of those things. That's that would be my guess. So they probably start the getting scared. Are, yeah. Mm. So I, I think it also depends on too what the understanding is that the chef has with the owner at the time the chef is hired and mm-hmm. the time the concept comes into play. And that's kind of one of the things the article did talk about as well is that did, was there like some type of contract, uh, you know, where there's creative stake in here. like, okay, well, you're going to have input here or we're going to have a vote or whatever it is. Um, and I, I comment on this to, to our group that it reminded me of the beginning of the movie Chef, the John Favreau movie where he gets in the argument with uh, Dustin Hoffman and ends up quitting over the concept of the menu for the one night. But you know, and he, and he said, "Hey, remember, I, you know, I control the kitchen. You get everything else. Blah blah blah." So, certainly, a chef would should have some input, right? But th- whether or not that input extends to the entire restaurant, front of house, back of house, bar, all that should be understood prior to the hiring of the chef. Communication, it, yeah. Well, I think another issue that comes up that this article didn't dis- explicitly bring up is that why why is there a belief that Anyone can open a restaurant if you have money. It's always that belief. It's a terrible belief. We talked about this so many times. It's like every episode of Gordon Ramsay. Just like, oh, what's your experience? I don't know. I I wanted to open a restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel that's how all those episodes start. If you're in it, you know, and you know, Adam, you have you know three, and then four, and a fifth one (laughs) soon. Um, you, you have a lot of experience in this, and it's like. I'm, if you're a dentist or like a surgeon or or some type of you know uh, well to do, yeah, you can do it. But you have the money though. That take your specialty. You have the money and find someone that knows what they're doing. Hire the or right that money people. is going to go away. I think it'd be similar if you know if you if it was someone that I couldn't imagine going just into some random business and saying, "Hey, I think I want to open a dentist's office." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds really cool. Um, so let me find a guy who can work on some teeth and you know a couple hygienists. It seems easy, right? But, <laughs> Then you get in it and, you know, but the restaurant business is so, you know, elaborate with so many things. It's manufacturing, customer service, you know, all at the same time, every shift, every day. So there's just so many moving parts that if you don't have experience in all those mm-hmm. avenues, you get eaten up pretty quick, you know. So it's so I, I wouldn't recommend, you know, someone doing it if they haven't, you know, done it for quite a while. It's so volatile, too. I mean, Joe and I were at a place years ago that they fired the executive chef on the opening night. Oh, yeah. Of, yep. of the rest, like this, I mean, it was just crazy. But didn't you, ha- so didn't you want like a wrong. Coke binge the night before or that, some shit? Like, that's the rumor. Like, yeah. Like, uh, like that, was, that, that's extenuating circumstances. But it's still like, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, still like on the opening night. Yeah. Know, not a, they didn't even have a soft opening. No. This <laughs> is like hard opening night, executive chef fired. Yeah. Hard drugs, hard opening. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people's perceptions too is that restaurants make a ton of money too. You know, you just see all the revenue coming in. Oh right. my gosh, there's 200 people in yeah. here and, you know, but they don't realize how tight the margins and, and, you know, how, how much you have to fight for that, you know, and that's if you do everything right, you know, so I think a big perception is let's open a restaurant, let's pack it in and make a bunch of money and we'll be all set, but it's, it's not that easy. Oh yeah. yeah. One of the points the article makes was that they expect a return on investment within the first year, which mm-hmm. is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, if you're opening a restaurant and this is, uh, something I think everybody, every potential owner should do is like do a crash course and like look at profit and loss statements and like all of that and like staffing and all these things you have to do for the first year of a restaurant mm-hmm. and then see if you want to open it. Cause then you're going to see, well, Oh, I'm not really gonna be able to pay myself 
or if you are paying yourself, you're going to be there's not going to be much profit. There might be no profit in there. You might you might end up in the red. Like, you know, it's, when you're going to give up your life doing it, so you got the stress and the headaches of everything, right. and that's maybe to make what you made possibly your last job. You know that you didn't have any worries, and you went home at five or six o'clock or whenever it was, and you know benefits, and you know it's it's a grind. You know, but at the same time, if it's something you love and you have experience, it's the best thing in the world too if you can pull it off. And you know? and most people have experience from TV. So they're wa- well, no, no, no. I'm just saying they're they're watching right. Hell's Kitchen. They're watching right. all these different shows. It seems easy to do because they're just, seeing the yeah. best of the best. Right. right. So then, they're like, oh, it's it's on TV. It has to be easy. Mm-hmm. So. You stayed in a Quality and Express one time. And, <laughs> you know, well, in in this case, you know, without being there, obviously the art the article is going to have a very skewed portion or one side or kind of like not it's not going to be the full picture about what happened, right? But uh, maybe they were just inundated with like. Comment cards be like, "Hey, ah, man, college football's coming around. It's you know, we, every Saturday we want to be able to watch a game, or every Thursday we want to be able to watch a game, and yeah. every Monday we want to watch football. And you know, maybe there was no other place in the area that's got a TV. And so, like you know, we're making all our money on the bar anyway, which is another thing the article talked about is how a lot of these restaurants they look at they're, they're turning profit off the bar, they're not turning profit off the food. And you have this really creative chef that wants to put out, you know." like oxtail and you know sweetbreads and this and that and the crowd isn't into it but they're into their jack and coke and be able to watch the game so what do you do at that point if you're the owner and you're like and you're getting into the the time where you know the the seasons get you know your outdoor patio isn't going to cut it anymore well maybe in charleston it'll cut it but you know it's not going to cut it anymore and you got to adapt right you got to and maybe they had conversations and the conversations they they're like okay well i'm 51 percent. you're 49 i'm sorry i rank out ways this time and we're going to try this and then the news comes in and says oh we're going to do a story maybe maybe yeah. not but yeah I, you know I, I i think as a restaurant owner you have to look at all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and say all right am i going to stick to this and say i'm never ever ever going to have a tv or maybe i could put a tv and then cover it you know with something i don't know like like you said the frame or some painting that like opens up like you know a couple of restaurants around here have and I think most of it comes down to just being honest with yourself though too because you have to realize what you're good at what you aren't good at and make sure you fill those holes you know because um, you know if you just think well I'll be able to figure this out or you know you really got to get the best of every area to be able to you know that's why it's probably good to have a partner if it's someone that's maybe just had the chef side experience or just Mm -hmm. had the front dining room experience you know if you haven't done it all then you really should get you know someone in that can do that side of it, you know, and, and then as you go, whether it's accounting or whatever your different weaknesses might be, you just chip away at those and hopefully get great people to be able to do those things and learn from it. Yeah. And the thing to remember is that restaurants are living, breathing things with Mm -hmm. living, with, with moving parts like you referred to Adam. Um, and that they evolve. Yeah. And and so like, you know, you're talking about reacting to, uh, um, you know, like, summer's ending and the patio's closing like you know we need to get people in here to watch football or whatever um and that's fine to in some respect but if that's not the heart and soul of your restaurant is it worth compromising mm-hmm. um you know danny meyer talks about this in setting the table like th- it takes at least a year for a restaurant to even catch its footing mm-hmm. um and you, you might be the you know in detroit especially like you open for the first six months you're pretty busy um people are excited people are talking about it um and that might not be the case anymore. I'm not certain. I don't. I don't see everybody's um, business. I don't know the, what their their business is like. But we've slowed um, down a little bit. I feel like there was definitely a tear. Yeah, and and it's just a matter of like exhaustion for, from the public too. Yeah. You sure. I mean, you look, at, you look at most of the hour Detroit 
uh, restaurant of the years, right? And it's crazy to see how many of those are not in business anymore. Yeah, it's. I think it's sixty percent, something like that. It's it's you know it's a staggering number. And that's a magazine that I would think to draw a lot of people. But, that, and a lot of times they're picking the newest, hottest place mm-hmm. too. And yeah. and you know, I always say I'd rather have a, a restaurant warm for twenty years than hot for six months. You know, oh. because ultimately, you know, it's all about the staying power and the longevity. And um, like you know, like you were saying, Joe, about it's a restaurant's like a new baby. It evolves over time, and you know, it matures and gets better. And um, it uh, it's it's a constant grind to mm-hmm. to do that day in and day out. You know, so. And let's talk about your restaurants, Adam. So you have, right now, you have three mm-hmm. in Howell? Yes, there's three downtown Howell. Um, so Diamond Steak and Seafood, The Silver mm-hmm. Pig, and Cello. You got it, yep. yep. Um, okay, so then, and you also, and we'll get to Royal Oak mm-hmm. in a little bit. Sure. Let's talk about Howell first. So yeah. um, which which restaurant opened first and then kind of give us a progression. So I took over Diamond Steak and Seafood, which was a small little 75-seat uh, steak and seafood place. Um, some little small town in Howell. There's probably seven or 8,000 people, the population of Howell, but um, it was actually existing for 27 years. So um, when I got there, an older gentleman had it the entire time um, and he was, you know, kind of tired and getting towards the end. They, they stopped putting the effort they should have maybe for a while. And um, so, you know, we thought it was a great opportunity. It's right across from the historic courthouse down there. You know, downtown Howell has a lot of charm. It's got more historic buildings on the registry than almost any city other than Detroit in the state. Um, so it's got a lot of, a lot of character and whatnot. And it was just missing some life. You know, the, the, they don't really have a whole lot of made from scratch and, you know, buy from local farms and that type of thing. Restaurants in Livingston County, they're not used to dining like we do here in Oakland County and that type of thing. So, um, you know, the price is right. And, you know, it seemed to be something we could work with. So we started there. Um, Mr. B's was on the corner. It was a rustic tavern. So it wasn't, you know, I think all the Mr. B's are separate now. But um, so I knew once, you know, Diamond started taking off and uh, we were lucky, fortunate enough to be able to do well with it. Uh, if I was going to be in Howell, then I really uh, thought having that corner spot was was key to somebody else is going to come in and do it. So I thought, why not be us? And if we were going to expand, it only made sense to be pretty much right next door, or right down the block, because we'd be able to share staff and help each other out, you know, Hey, I'm out of butter and this or that, you know, we're just kind of, it's all right there. Can so I borrow a cup of sugar. Please? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> we're neighbors. And then the silver pick ball from there, you know, next door to the new diamonds. So I ended up moving diamonds to the 200 seat restaurant. It is now, um, with private dining room. And then that opened up our old diamonds. And we thought, uh, there was really a, a niche for Italian missing in the market. And, uh, we want to do our handmade pastas and limoncellos and things like that. So we're lucky to have it work. My sister's actually, funny enough, just opened a bakery across the street called M Street Baking Company, um, which they've been just booming. They do all these crazy milkshakes and it's all over, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. But they're uh, they're they're killing it too. So a lot of great things happening there. So, so you just operate all of downtown Howell at this point? <laughs> not, no, not even close. But yeah, so um, it's fun. So the Taking over a place that had been operating for north of 20 years, mm-hmm. it, with, with you said that they're, near the end, they, they had just kind of, it sounds like we're about to give up. Is that safe to say? Funny enough, it, it, you know, he didn't need a whole lot. He, funny, he lived in the building actually too, which is really, you know, like literally in the restaurant. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so now it's a full prep room and everything else, but he literally lived there. So it was really, like I said, super odd. Um, so... <laughs> 
I guess he didn't have rent to pay and, you know, <laughs> that lowered his cost quite a bit, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, for what they were doing then to what we're doing now, it's not even comparable. But um, it is a lot more challenging to take over a restaurant that's existing. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I'm not sure I would. But I didn't have, you know, the money to be able to gut it and just completely. Like, I think I want to say I changed the lampshades, <laughs> got rid of the plastic Pepsi cups and maybe did rolled napkins. And then, you know, we put our chef gear on and we went after it. So did you live there? I did not live there. No, <laughs> I always think that'd no. be like a good But I would have if I had to. Luckily, you know, it didn't come to that. But. You lived upstairs from your restaurant, was able to just wake up, you know, walk downstairs sure. and get, get the operation going. And yeah, yeah, but there's something to be said about kind of that separation, too. <clears throat> Because then, you know, you'd, you'd probably never leave and your, your health would probably well, did, affect Didn't Danny Meyer have that, right? He lived like down like a block away from his restaurant. He had to walk still, past. Yeah, but in New York, different that's than, like a mile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> than living in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but, the, you know, when you're talking about you're trying to build a culture and you're trying to do all these things that, you know, you have a lot of people who have worked there for quite some time as well. And to try to get them to change bad habits and turn them into new habits is you know, can, can be, can be tough. And especially when, you know, you have, everyone hated us when we first got there in the community, even because we took something that has been there for 20 something years and we start to want to change it and change scares people sometimes. So it, it took, you know, a solid year for them to kind of get on our side and trust that we were doing some great things. And, um, and then, you know, as you open more restaurants, now they're waiting at the door to open, you know, to get there when you open quite the change than when we first got there. But, um, yeah, it's always tough, tougher when you have something that, that you're trying to take over that's, you know, has been there a while. When did you take it over? That was, um, I partnered in with actually my stepdad, um, in 2011 and then I bought it. Um, I bought him out in 2013. So I was, I've been there for about seven years now. And then the other two places they opened in what years? Uh, I opened those in 2016. I bought I bought Mr. B's in 2015. Also ran that as is, and then just changed the menu and things like that. Also due to the you know the, the money t- at the time, uh-huh. um, and then uh, we moved Diamonds there uh, February of 17, and then Silver Pig opened September of 16, and Cello opened March of 17. So we literally opened three brand new gutted restaurants. It's you know, crazy uh, in six months. It was. Unreal, but we we did have a year and a half or two years to plan it, but also wouldn't do that again three at once. So <laughs> there's a, there's a lot and of here things we are doing too. So right, a lot of things. It yeah. sounds like you wouldn't do it again, but you did, and it seems like you're successful and very happy. Well, I think you end. learn. You know, you got to learn as you go, and you know you're going to make mistakes, but hopefully you don't replicate them. And you know, you just um, having having the team around you that's great, and also has that you know drive to keep getting better and really work at everything we're doing is, you know, you couldn't do it without them. So luckily, you know, we have, we haven't literally, I think we've lost one manager in three years, wow. which is not very common, you know, considering uh, the restaurant business, you know, typically. So we're a tight team. A lot of employees from the Howell area or surround, um, more surround? all over actually. Most of the management we have out there is experience anywhere from J. Alexander's to the Roberts group to uh, Fleming's, you know, there's some different, uh, they're actually funny enough more from out here, but I'm from more of, the, of this area, so um, I knew you know a network of a lot of different people. And when um, nobody wanted to come in the first diamonds because it was small and you know we we couldn't afford to you know pay people what we do now. But um, once they found out what we were doing with the other restaurants, they were pretty excited to come out. So 
And, and so now you, you have your eyes set on Royal Oak. Yeah. Um, so the, I guess so. <laughs> so the, uh, the space Breaking news, at yeah. uh, Main Street and 11 Mile, mm-hmm. uh, which used to be housed by Candina Diablos yeah. and Red Fox mm-hmm. English Pub, is now yours. Yeah. Um, and are you partnering with the, the group that was there before? Yeah, he's staying on uh, financially as a silent partner. So that's, um, and that's Brian Kramer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and Brian's been great to work with. Uh, I've learned a lot of you know just the accounting side and different financial things. Is you know from him, um, we're hundred percent control of the operations of the restaurant, and then you know I have the opportunity to, to purchase uh, the building and the rest of the business in January of twenty one. I think so. That was um, you know kind of like that transition plan of how we're you know, going to do that. But yeah, so it's been, uh, been good so far. And so the roof, the rooftop is open right now. Yeah. The and, rooftop is open and, and we're actually doing a cello pop-up, um, okay. to test out the market. Um, our cello Italian restaurant does really well in Howell. So, uh, with Andiamo closing and, and, um, I, I would like to actually look, I've been looking at spaces for a cello and Royal Oak as well, which may be a bit aggressive, but I really just believe in what's happening down here. And, um, I think diamonds and, Pinky's up top will work out really well, so um, we'll see what happens. And what's Pinky's going to be? Pinky's going to be just a really, you know, funky, edgy. I would say, you know, Diamonds is is more of an this this one is going to be more of an urban version of what we have, um, more of a neighborhood steakhouse, something you'd see probably in Brooklyn instead of Manhattan. You know, so not stuffy, no white tablecloths, um, more for for the neighborhood, and then you know, anyone surrounding, but upstairs, I would say is probably more of a regional thing where I think people are going to come from a lot of different areas from Troy, Birmingham, Troy, you know, lots of different areas to check it out. Um, but it's going to be, I guess, similar along the concept wise of like a writing company, you know, type mm. of thing. Um, small plates, shareable, real social, big focus on craft cocktails. Um, but you're going to be surrounded by a lot of vintage, you know, eclectic decor, um, a lot of found pieces, you know, nothing that we're, mm-hmm. um, and there's half of it's stuff that we're, they're, they're just found, you know, antique kind of things. And, um, Ron, Ron Ray, who we do, he did all three of our restaurants in Howell and he's doing these two as well. Um, he actually pitched the idea for up there. Um, and I didn't love it at first, but I, I slept on it for a month or two. And once you started showing renderings and, and everything, it's, I think it's just going to be something that blows people away. It's, there's nothing like it, you know, unless you maybe go downtown, uh, but definitely not in Royal Oak for right now. So, so I, I think there's a, a lot of things you can do in Royal Oak. Um, right now, the, there's not really a great craft cocktail program. Um, you have Johnny's, which is probably the closest that you have. Right. Um, but ever since um, uh, the place moved downtown, uh, that it, yeah, they were really the only guys that were really killing it. So that is a, a niche you could definitely take. And I also think, um, having an accessible wine program too, mm-hmm. because, yeah. um, Bistro 82 is not bad. Um, but I definitely think that you know, from a beverage standpoint, Royal Oak could use some, some help. Yeah. And I think the other thing that sets us apart up there is we're going to have, um, the, the rooftop is really is garden themed. So there's a lot of greenery. There's a lot of different lights, fountains, things like that. So I think it'll be very experiential. Um, in that regard. So summertime is a, is a no brainer for it. Um, but we want it to be something that's a dining destination too, you know, throughout the year. So, um, we're actually going to open half of the patio to be all winter long as well and then close it in and heat it and things like that. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just a different, you know, fun vibe. Um, 
And uh, it's, it's, we wanted it to be a big point of difference from diamonds, too. We didn't want it to just be like some bar above diamonds or attached to diamonds. We wanted to, like you're going to be sitting inside of diamonds and you're going to see literally inside the restaurant a big pink elevator, you know, <laughs> with a sign like, what the hell is that? You know, and, and um, the name is it's a little weird, you know, I think. But um, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you're not going to. I don't know what the expectation will be, but I, I know that we'll exceed it. And that's half the half the battle in the restaurant business is, you know, somebody doesn't know what they're going to expect. And that's what we did when we couldn't afford to do the decor at the original Diamonds. We, we blew them away. So we took whatever it is that they thought was going to happen and we exceeded that. So um, we just want to continue to, you know, keep doing that. So I, I think I, I read a story. It might have been in Cranes or you had uh, talked about your, your concerns with the parking in Howell. How do you feel about the parking situation in Royal Oak? Because I know that that was that a lot of the businesses that were closing were, were citing the parking as an issue. And I know it's part of it because of due to the constructions and, you know, the different lots. But what, what are your thoughts moving forward and opening up some of these places here? In Royal Oak or how? Royal Oak. Um, I'm not concerned at all. Um, I think, you know, Royal Oak's a different community in regards to, like, even in you know, in some other communities like Birmingham, you, you have the angle parking right there and things, and you can basically just kind of park and walk up. But there's still if you, they're available, if they're available, yeah. and you still have to walk. But yeah. it, I mean, Royal Oaks are walking downtown. I mean, you don't go downtown Detroit and expect to park and walk to the back door. It just doesn't happen. So the main thing Sometimes is you do. It's it's, <laughs> but it's, it's the, rare. It's the exception. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I think it just forces the establishments to be destinations. You know, you really just gotta. Puts you know put an experience and product and hospitality out that separates you from everyone else. Otherwise, it's going to be tough to make it. Um, so, and I know Jim Brady's has the parking lot there, which I think is a big benefit to him. Um, but I think if you know we're, if we do you know uh, what we're capable of and, and and work at it and continue to get better, um, like I said, the parking garage is never full that I'm in, um, and it's uh, just off Center Street there. Um, the block over. So, and then with the new parking garage going up behind little tree and mm-hmm. all that area, I, I think there's going to be plenty and, you know, but is it, you know, the question all the restaurants and really anywhere has to, you have to ask yourself is, is this worth walking a block or two? You know, and that's the question we ask ourselves all the time is we have sure. to make sure we're blowing them away. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit tougher as opposed to, more of a suburban place where you could just park and walk up. So, And I think to kind of Alan Greenspan this a little bit is that Andiamos was kind of resting on not slightly above mediocre food and it was super accessible because it had that parking back there. And I think when they lost that, they kind of had to say like, okay, we need to be good to get people out here. We need to up our game. And I don't think they were ready for that. Um, whereas you look at all the other Andiamos, they're easy. You know, there's parking, it's easy, it's get in, get out. So I think this is kind of like free market kind of saying, hey, they weren't working. Let's get someone new in. Let's try it. Um, you know, Diablos, they lost their parking in the back. Um, I'd be curious what happens to like the sub shop and things like that that have been around forever. Like, can they, you know, keep evolving? Keep- well, uh, so I, I think this is a very this is a very Midwest problem too. this idea that you have to park close to something. Extremely Midwest. Uh, oh, it's, it's more than Midwest. It's, especially it's with Detroit. Uber and everything else these days. I mean, you can pretty much. Yeah, you know, depending on where you live, you get somewhere pretty reasonably and be dropped off right at the door. Think of how hard it was to get a cab even years past. Where yeah. now it's like literally an app on your phone and you're there. So it's a little it's a little different, I would say, than some of the other places I've been around the country because every time that you try to get an Uber here, it's always at a higher rate. Right? I mean, 
which is leading me now. Like I kind of like, and plus I kind of want to start going towards simply cutting out Uber, going right to Lyft, not just for the Delta points. This is an ad <laughs> for Delta. But if you go to Delta Lyft, <laughs> anytime you go to Lyft, you get Delta points. But they don't raise the rates during peak hours, or whatever. And Uber always does. Anytime you try to get a, you try to go anywhere, and, you, and you're kind of confined to doing that nowadays when you're at the bar scene. Uh, you know, you're you're hitting these high rates, which really suck. And you, you, you Joe, you say Midwest, but you go to Chicago, and we could walk for miles and miles and miles in Chicago. You don't even notice it. Also, where you do here in Detroit or Royal yeah. Oak, Ferndale, right? And, and then I mean, Chicago is not Chicago's a big city, right? Yeah. So you can walk and explore. And like, I was just in Denver like last week, and um, walking two miles is nothing. Uh, and you run into places that you might not otherwise run into if you just put something into your phone. To, you know, I want to go to this place, or uh, like you know, exploration is lost. Um, there, there's no reason why in Royal Oak someone can't park on Center Street, which is two blocks away from the main strip and walk up. And if they don't make it to your restaurant and end up somewhere else, that's fine too. Cause eventually they're going to make it to your, mm-hmm. you know, well the parking garage that, or I'm sorry, the parking lot that was behind Cantina, which is now the stout building, I think mm-hmm. is also, um, a teeny parking garage. Well, the, I think there's a hundred spots in there actually at, at night, right? At night. Yeah. But we're, we're, we're not going to be open for lunch. Right. So, you know, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, between that and then two other parking garages within a block or two, it's, you know, for us, not really concerned at all. Uh, so you and I met uh, not in Metro Detroit, mm-hmm. but in New York, right at the welcome at the welcome yeah. conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we've talked about the welcome conference here very much. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that for a second. Sure. So the welcome conference is put on by uh, Will Godera, um, Brian uh, Canlis, and Daniel Hum, and Daniel Hum. Mm-hmm. Um, Will and Daniel are from Eleven Madison Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian is from. Uh, Canless in yeah, Seattle, correct? Amazing restaurant. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I've never been. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, kind of talk about what their focus is. You've been you've been more than I have. I've only been once. You've been the last four years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you, I mean, you can probably get with the theme of of what uh, when you went, but it's all about hospitality and and um, getting industry people who are passionate about that together. Um, and they have speakers from all different ranges. Um, you know, anywhere from you know, not even in the industry, from I think the woman who owned uh, Soul Cycle to an FBI interrogator, uh, which was amazing. Oh, right. Uh, the negotiator. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah the conflict yeah. and change thing. And, yep. Um, so all 20 minute speeches. And I mean, if you're not inspired when you leave there, then you don't have a pulse because it's pretty amazing. So um, I've, I've taken some people uh, from our team every year and, and um, they just, they're, they're super inspired by it. It's, a, it's fun to check out New York anyway and have dine and, you know, have a good time. What's your hope when you go to a conference like that? Um, when you bring when you bring your people with you, I, you know, when early on, I mean, I was so hungry to make it in the restaurant business and things like that that I would just. I've always kind of been a sponge. I'm about, I always want to learn something from everywhere I go and everyone I talk to, and um, and I, I guess I want to say I kept a lot of that to myself before, but I didn't. You don't always just share everything, you know. It's like, hey, on the way to work to, to today, I listened to this speech here, and you know, just because you have so many things to do. But so, in the last couple of years, I've really shared a lot of that with my team. If it's something that's really inspired me, um, and it turns out, since we have the similar passions and things like that, it it does the same for them. So then they start to, you know, get connected with some of the things that you're interested in, and. Um, so the we do we do a few things we do the welcome conference and a couple others uh, we go to Chicago and um, 
you know, my, my hope is that they, um, it's good to get out of your element for one, because sometimes you can only be so creative, you know, doing, being in the same environment every day. So to get them out and mainly a big part of it's dining at other restaurants. So I take them to a lot of great places that I've been that I've been like, Oh man, that's, that was awesome. Like I really, you know, was, was inspired by that. So between the dining out and then, you know, picking up a few things, you know, if we can be better tomorrow than we are today, better today than we are yesterday, just by that virtue alone, we're going to be successful as time goes on. So it's just all about getting better. So I feel it's, you know, it's worth the investment. Plus um, it keeps the camaraderie with your team too. And just, you know, there, there is much or more of making this happen than I am, you know, if they don't execute it, then it's just a, a terrible idea went wrong <laughs> for me, you know. So it's a it's a real team game. So if I don't have them thinking, I guess, like an owner and 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 really taking an interest in you know in them and and, and how they see it and their opinion, then it's not going to be as successful anyway. So I, I, I like to get them engaged. So, so if you went out and they came back and said, "You want to put a TV?" <laughs> you know, it's funny when we do things. I ask them. I, I, I never give a like a, an order. I'm always like, "So, what do you think about this?" And what do we think? And, and honestly, a lot of times, if they don't want to do it, we don't do it mm-hmm. because if they're not behind it and they don't support it and they don't believe in it, then I'm not going to. But I had know. to take a little bit of time for them to kind of for 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 them to feel that they could trust you to to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Well, I've always encouraged the open dialogue and for them to check me just as much as I would them on some things, you know. So, um, we, we, you know, communication, you know, like you said, Nick, is, is the key to it. And yeah. we have lots of different avenues that we communicate in real time a lot of different ways. So, um, you know, we have our meetings and hold each other accountable and we have fun doing it. But, you know, at the same time, it's it's all about, you know, what's what, you know, what's what do we got here? Let's just be honest with ourselves. Let's not hold anything back. Because you know we're we're uh, we're making the decisions for the company, so we have to put it all on the table. And you know we may not always love to hear it, but it took a okay. while for me to get my wife to tell me my food wasn't very good. And she didn't <laughs> like it. I would I would cook something for her and be like, "How is this? Oh, it's okay." And I'm like, "Oh, she's lying to me." <laughs> and then I you know figure out how to cook her right, and then, then next thing you know, it's like, "Oh my god, that's really good." And you can tell when she's telling the truth. Like that's that's hard though. I mean, tell me you're pouring like well, if you, especially in a new relationship, you're pouring your soul out. And you're very grateful that they're cooking for you, right? So but, you don't want to be like, oh, this kind of sucks. Tell me, though. like I'm, you know, I'm a foodie. Just tell me that this sucks, and I'll make it better. <laughs> you know, I'm not perfect. I don't make things right all the time, and you know, not every recipe is good, right? I just think there's really no place for an ego when you're trying to run a company or mm-hmm. get a team mm-hmm. of people to do anything because um, there you go. It's just it doesn't work. You know, it's got to be everyone's got to be able to be fully open and honest and. No, I like what you said yeah. about ha- you know having the employees take ownership of the company. It's you know when they feel like they're an owner, then that's I think a lot of part that makes a company successful. Yeah, and ultimately they're running the company. You know, they're running the business. You know, so so as a chef owner, how how much of the time are you in the kitchen? Are, are you developing these menus, or is that, do you have a team? Yeah, what? so I started as 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 the executive chef, and um, you know I spend you know now hardly any of my time actually on the line uh, just because of the scale of what we're doing. But um, so we have, you know, lots of, you know, uh, great chefs on our team. And then uh, we have a culinary director now, uh, Chef Craig uh, Myron. He's, he's amazing. Um, So him and I write all the menus and, and test all the recipes and do that type of thing. And then we get input from our guys our our executive chefs from, you know, each restaurant and sous chefs and things like that. So 
Um, we collaborate on a lot of that stuff. Me and him will put together probably about 85, 90% of it in the get-go um, and then have everyone else basically beat it up every which way to make sure it's executable and does it make sense and is it what the guest wants and all these things. So, um, But uh, unfortunately, because I, I love being in the kitchen and you know, being, you know, in the fire and when it's the busiest and that's, you know, to me, you don't even have to think, you know, you're just doing it. And, um, every now and then I'll jump back with the guys, uh, because a lot of times I don't have as much interaction now with some of the line cooks that we've hired and different people training and pantry. So, you know, sometimes I'll surprise them on a Saturday night and just jump back there and cook <laughs> the whole night and just kind of, they're probably looking like, Oh man, he can, he can actually cook, you know, <laughs> but, uh, so that's fun. But unfortunately, you know, keep open these damn restaurants it's hard to do as much as you want so and, and to that end like i feel like there's kind of like a badge of honor in industry about how many hours a week you work in this like complete lack of work-life balance what is your work-life balance like is it is it way bound ba- like out of balance or how would you feel about that uh me personally i'm much better at it now but i mean i i mean i i in a sense i don't want to say work 20 hours a day but you know if if you're not just obsessed with you know, that's when you do what you love, you never work a day in your life that you've heard that before. Sure. But, um, I mean, there's, there's a certain, you know, part of that that's true. Cause I never really consider it work. Like when I wake up in the morning, when I go to sleep, I can't wait to, you know, like I, I'm actually general contracting the whole job and, and Royal Oak too. So we have a bunch of contractors that we've used, but I've general contracted every restaurant we've done just because like, I want to make sure it's right. I know it sounds crazy, but, um, <laughs> You know, so we are, are all of our crew from Howell, which are incredible, all the contractors and electricians and everything that we've built relationships with, all the same guys are doing this this one here. So we already know, you know, kind of what to expect. Don't get me wrong. The first one or two were like way overwhelming because, you know, you're ordering all these different things and you don't know what's what. And, you know, but now we've kind of seen a little bit of everything between whatever it is. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it can be tough at times, but it, it all comes down to the people. You know, if you don't have great leadership in the company that can actually hold, hold down a lot of that day to day, and if they're not happy with what they're doing or who they're working with or who they're working for, then you know you're you're gonna you know pretty much lose your any work life balance you have because you're gonna have to do it or you know continually replace people and things like that. So, um, my main focus is making sure our managers and our chefs are happy. That's like my number one thing. So if they're you know, content with everything and they're happy doing what they're doing, then the rest just kind of works out, you know, so, because they're, they're going to, you know, obviously make everyone that, that they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to help everyone underneath them be successful and, and you know, want to be there and things like that. So can we talk a little bit about what we're drinking? Yeah. yeah. Because I, I was going to bring that up as we wind down here. Let's, uh, let's I was nervous. It was like a stringed like... instrument restaurant. What oh oh cello yeah what, what I, I mean what's wrong with that that'd be relaxing wouldn't it? yeah I'd rather have limoncello though <laughs> this is amazing thanks yeah, so, you like yeah. bad puns <laughs> Nick's great at that um, yeah let's talk or about this so you you brought three different types yeah of, of limoncello so first of all start with what is limoncello so limoncello is a is a is a um, you know DJ digestif uh, from Italy, basically like an aperitif type of thing. And it is, uh, it takes about two months to make for us. Uh, Ryan McLean, who's our beverage director, um, you know, does, does ours. Um, but um, it's basically grain alcohol that you um, take the uh, peel of a lemon, uh, lemon rind and, and let it sit for, you know, a good month, month and a half. And then you proof it down with, with um, in a sense, simple syrup in a way, um, sugar, you know, sugar water. 
Um, and then, um, you know, like I said, it gets completed about two months and then we have a version of creamy limoncello, which you use, um, we, we kind of break the rules, um, because a lot of them can be pretty stiff, you know, and, and, and not necessarily appeal to a wider range of people. Um, so being as though we called it cello, um, we want to try to make sure limoncello is just about on every table. So we wanted to try to appeal a little bit more crowd. So in our creamy, we, we even had, we add a little bit of honey and, um, and sometimes we use a little bit of lemon juice in them. Um, and then we do one seasonal flavor, uh, as well. So, um, you know, it's just all about trying to taste great. Um, and, uh, People love it so far. The, the creamy one's a dessert in and of itself. I, I know it, it's it. rich. It's, it's rich. Yeah. Is, it, is there heavy cream in that, or is there? There some, is. There's heavy cream. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, you brought this carrot cake with you. Yeah. And you said that this is your mom's recipe. Yeah. So my mom was our pastry chef for five years, um, and like I said, they, my mom and my two sisters just opened that bakery in Howell. So um, she made the carrot cake every day for five years. She's literally the only one who did it. So <laughs> I had to pretty much learn how to make the carrot cake um, once she decided to open the bakery. So, But it's a staple that, I mean, it's literally on every table in the restaurant, at all the restaurants. We, we started it at Diamonds, and then we've had to carry it to the other ones just because people ask for it so much. So um, we start, you know, when, when we started, we went through about two sheet trays of, of it you know, per week, and now we're probably you know, solid 40 without Royal Oak even being open yet. So it's pretty nuts. Like we literally have someone baking carrot cakes all day long. So, And is that like a central kitchen type thing or are you doing it at the each individual place? No, we do it at each individual place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Are they making the carrot cake at the bakery too? They are not. Okay. No. <laughs> no, it's a no, no, it's a no diamonds uh, thing. But competition. They, they, they don't. They don't need that help the way they're going. So, has has anyone? And this might be more of just a bookkeeping thing. But has anyone kind of brought up the diamonds versus kind of Jim Brady's diamond Jim Brady's thing? No, actually. But I I thought of that the other day. I was thinking about because I know I guess there's diamond Jim Brady's and um, what is it Novi or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Um, no. And actually, when I took over the restaurant, I thought Diamonds was a stupid name. I'm like, why are my name with Diamonds? You know, like, but obviously it's like close to my heart and I love it now. But um, yeah, I'm, I've met Tom Brady, which what a great name, right? Tom Brady. <laughs> but uh, he, he owns Jim Brady's here, Jim Brady's Detroit um, in Royal Oak. Um, really nice guy. Um, and he, I think his aunt owns the Diamond Jim Brady's in Novi. So wait a second. Tom Brady owns Jim like, Brady's Detroit and Royal Oak. Yeah, that's his and, grandpa. And plays for the Patriots <laughs> and used to play for Michigan. I think Jim Tom, Brady was Tom his grandpa. But yeah, what? it's got to be tough growing up being Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady but, no. Especially if you're older. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but I was Tom Brady Super nice first. guy. It was me. Yeah. <laughs> so Adam, is there any type of projected um, open date for the Royal Oak, uh, for Diamonds and Royal Oak? Yeah, actually, um, you know, our permits and everything are all square. And like I said, our team from Howell who built our restaurants, we were, were around the clock. You know, what what you see from the outside now is not what you're going to, what, what's happening on the inside. So we're going to be moving to the outside this week. Um, but it should be done at the end of October and open. Okay. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, we're, we're moving actually well ahead of pace. And where can good. people kind of keep track of that? Um, probably nowhere cause we won't tell anybody when we're open, but, um, I'm sure eater's going to bang on your door eventually. We're going to try to hide for as long as we can a little bit, but, um, MerkelRestaurants.com is where we usually, you know, update everything. And we, we do, you know, if we change a menu, we, we update it, you know, real time. So everything's, um, and then our uh, diamonds Facebook page where it's actually 
Um, like I said, it was there for 27 years before I got there, so it's Diamond's 35-year anniversary this month. Yeah, you're doing like 35-cent uh, Yeah, 35-cent filet mignon tips, which is like our other staple. So um, that's in Howell. Um, but, uh, yeah, we keep we keep everything updated with our Facebook and things like that. So Awesome. Well, Adam, yeah, thanks for being excited. with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been a great time. Best of luck. Thanks. Until next time, dine well, friends.